curious, competitive, compassionate. Salespeople are drawn to their careers in much the same way musicians are drawn to music. Once you've learned the language of sales, the beauty is in your ability to personally interpret what you've learned to suit your personality, your interest, and your skill. My name is Roger Burnett, and this is the So You're In Sales podcast, where we consider ways to grow as people as we advance in our careers and learn firsthand from those ahead of us on the path to accelerate our journey. I'm lucky to get to talk every two weeks with entrepreneurs, business owners, thought leaders, authors, and people of all walks of life, each with a unique story to share and a look at their lessons along the way. Prepare to be educated, informed, entertained, and inspired. This is the So You're In Sales Podcast. The So You're In Sales Podcast is sponsored by Social Good Promotions. Social Good Promotions was founded on the premise that any business can stand out from their competition when they are doing things they really believe in. True success these days is measured by the ways your employees feel about working for you and the ways your business is making the community a better place. Ultimately, it's about the ways you and your business will be remembered. If you're looking to grow your sales revenue while activating social good at the same time, we'll be your favorite marketing partner ever. Book a meeting with us at socialgoodpromotions.com, follow us on Instagram at sogoodpromo, and let's get connected. We've done great work using our unique and effective strategy. Let us show you how. Now, on with the show. As an industry of small businesses, it's often difficult to know how to consider adding automation to the suite of products and services you might use when approaching your lead generation efforts. The world of sales automation has grown exponentially in the last decade, yet many in our industry have not yet taken the plunge or worse yet, are sitting on the sidelines for fear of making the wrong choice in partner, which could be expensive not only from a cash investment perspective, but from the potential for wasted sales time being invested into a choice that ultimately doesn't pan out. Sean Finder has always been an entrepreneur at heart. At age 24, Sean entered the entrepreneurial world after competing as one of Canada's top-ranked tennis players. He started out importing packaging from the Orient and selling to top retailers in North America. However, knowing he always loved selling and list building, he founded Exchange Leads in 2013, which helps his company build quality lists for outreaching new prospects. This was followed by his new venture, Auto Close, in 2017 that combines both sales engagement and list building into an all-in-one platform. I know it's difficult to consider whether or not it's smarter to make an investment in people or sales automation when it comes to trying to achieve scale, so I thought it would make sense to bring Sean on and allow him the opportunity to give us a little bit of his expertise in this space thought it was really interesting. Lots of really good tidbits in there for anybody to consider when thinking about sales automation as a potential add to your mix. Thanks, Sean. I'm glad that you made it today. Uh, nothing like a gloomy, rainy playoff Toronto Raptors on the precipice of <laughs> history to frame the opening of our conversation. So welcome to the show, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, Roger. Yeah, I look forward to it. Yeah, it definitely is a rainy day and, and a big day here in Toronto for all the Toronto Raptors fans. No doubt, no doubt. You said something about there's a, a six-hour line already in downtown Toronto to f- be a part of what could be history. So we're looking forward to seeing what the outcome of that will be. But in the meantime, you and I want to talk about sales automation today. And as I was telling you before we opened, you know, our industry is really 
uniquely situated in the space where small and medium-sized businesses may be faced with the decision about without making the investment in additional headcount to grow their sales line, perhaps there might be other opportunities for them to be able to do so. And we're certainly thinking that sales automation might be one of those. So timely topic, timely interview. So I appreciate the fact that you actually reached out to me, which is unusual for me for someone to come (laughs) up and be like, Hey, your people need to hear about this stuff. You should be talking to them about it. So thanks for coming on and, and talking a little bit about that today. Yeah, I look forward to it. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we, we, we built the platform is to help solopreneurs and small companies feel like they are big companies um, when they're doing the prospecting. No doubt, no doubt. And really, that's even myself as a, a once large business that's now repackaged himself as a small business. Uh, we're faced with a lot of those similar, similar discussion points as we're considering what our toolkit should be as we... Uh, try to have that run up to enormous success. So, you know, before we even get into some of the nuts and bolts of what sales automation looks and sounds like from your perspective, uh, I really wanted to cover this to- this kind of opening topic, which is the notion of when I have limited resources, be them financial resources, you know, I only have so many dollars to spend on things that'll help me grow my business, or really even more importantly, I guess, to a certain extent is even if I had the, t- the money do I necessarily have the time to be able to devote to a partner who could help me craft a campaign that would actually get me the kind of results that I would be hoping for in order to feel confident about the financial investment that I'd made? And I think, you know, in my conversations with practitioners in my space, a lot of times it's I'm not going to say it's a hundred percent a time issue, but even if I do have some money to spend, perhaps I'm more leery of the fact that if I make a wrong choice, that not only will I be out the money that I may make in an investment, I will be out the time. Yep. And given the fact that I'm such a small business person that really in many instances, that time is as valuable or maybe even in some ways more valuable than the money I might spend. So knowing that you've been calling primarily on businesses of that size, what have been some of the triggers that you've seen that have been able to push perhaps someone that's in that SMB space into saying, you know what, this is like, it's just something I got to do. Yeah. And that's a great question. So, you know, especially when I first started my first startup four and a half years ago, you know, I was alone and my options were a, you can, you can pay a salesperson a salary of 50, 60, 70 K. Um, but you know, being capital tight and being very, being a startup. Um, I also know to train a salesperson might take two, three months, your first two, three months, you might spend 15 K and you can't expect results right away from a salesperson. So I said, well, I don't have money to spend 65K on a sales rep. What happens if I built the platform and you charge one twelfth the price, but it does everything a salesperson can do? It's almost like a robotic salesperson. Um, and one of the other reasons why I did it was, you know, as a solopreneur or even a, if a partner, if you go on a vacation for a week, every day on your vacation, like, oh, I'm taking away a day that I could be selling. I'm taking away I could be selling. When you have a sales automation tool, you can travel for some of my sales reps, travel for a month, have that sales automation running the entire month. And it's doing all everything for you without that uh, that big lump salary you got to pay, and training you got to do for a sales rep up front. No doubt, no doubt. And uh, from a, from a pure time investment perspective, you know, not that a person to person investment isn't valuable. I think it certainly is. Yeah. But when you don't have the opportunity to even source a person, sometimes the idea of sourcing a platform can give you the kind of reach that you may need at a lesser price point, both from a 
financial investment perspective, but even more importantly, that time investment. Because, you know, uh, a lot of times in our space, what we'll, we'll see a person say is like, I'm thinking about wanting to bring another person on like in an account coordinator role. Yeah. It's going to do some of the more menial tasks, some of the more clerk-based functions that perhaps I've been saddled with now as I've grown my business. But you still have to train that person on those tasks in order for them to be able to take that part off of your plate. And to your point, from a time to success perspective, I'm guessing that a software tool with a preloaded platform with training videos and demos on how to be successful at it allow for you as the practitioner to be able to live in that space independent of any other person. And really at that point, all you're really doing is making an investment in your own growth as an organization, as opposed to making maybe a longer term investment in a headcount. Is that, is that kind of how that works out for you in your mind? Yeah. So, I mean, it's exactly what you say. I would say you want to get a return on your investment because to be honest, hiring somebody is a full-time job. If you want to hire an SDR or a salesperson, it's not like you can just wake up and get interviewed. You have to, you want to find the right person, the person with the right culture. It might take two, three months to hire somebody. It might take two, three months then to train them. Now you're six months in and guess what? With all the different costs to probably build your business, et cetera, and to you know, pay your mortgage, pay your rent, you might not be able to survive. So you want to find something that can really, you can start using right away, but to almost like an all-in-one platform. So instead of having to go out, finding a sales rep, finding your database, finding a different tools, have something that consolidates everything into one. So you can go in, press start your campaign, do a podcast like this while your, your prospecting is automated on the back end. Yeah, it actually allows you the opportunity to add more touches into your cadence, which we're going to get to the discussion of cadence oh, here yeah. in a little bit. And I've, I've got a little bit of a, uh, an idea for you with, within the uh, context of the ad medium that you're talking to uh, being the promotional products industry and how adding a promotional product into your cadence sometimes can actually add an element of effectiveness into that outbound part of what's going on. So before we get into the actual, like I want to, I want to uh, deconstruct a little bit about this notion of like, like quote, what sales automation is, because I think yeah. in a lot of ways there's people that if you ask 10 people what sales automation meant to them, you probably get seven different answers in many ways things like corporate social responsibility. Like they're just <laughs> buzzwords that people don't necessarily yeah. have a firm handle on what that particularly would mean. But before we get to that part of it, Sean, if I fit the profile of this small, medium sized business that we're discussing before we get to the sales automation piece of it from a software as a service toolkit in your yeah. mind, adding sales automation what other components in your mind represent the full-fledged, full-blown software-as-a-service platform that a good sales organization should have today? Regardless of the name brands of the pieces, what are the components in your mind of what that toolkit should look like? Okay, great. That's a great question. So I would say these are the main ones you really need. You need a simple CRM. Because when you're doing sales, you want to be able to track people and where they are in the sales funnel. Sales automation is the most important because it's the top of the sales funnel that will prospect for you. We all know that salespeople, I'm going to say it, are kind of lazy. <laughs> they, do what they, do, they do one to two follow-ups and they think the prospect's not interested. But let me tell you, if you're reaching out to VPs or higher, they're not going to reply to your first or second email. So they want to see you're persistent and they probably will reply to your fourth, fifth, or sixth email. Scheduling automation is very important. You want to make it very easy 
for your prospect to book a time on your calendar. So for example, in your, in, as a call to action, you might want to put a Calendly or some sort of scheduling where they can just go in, pick a time in your calendar, and it's that easy. And then the last thing is what we're doing right now is screen sharing. Um, because it, depending on the type of business you are, if you have to talk to somebody, it's sometimes better to show your face because it gets more personable. So having some sort of you know screen share like Zoom like we're using today is another tool that I would have. So those are the main tools I would use. Um, and obviously you need a database um, but that's also included sometimes in your sales automation platform. Yeah. And from a CRM perspective, you know, I have, uh, I've seen it more times than I care to admit, but there's people who are adopting literally like almost DIY CRMs by like using outlook and, yeah. and scheduling tasks within that tool. A lot of times I think it's almost like features on a car. Like oftentimes you buy the car you bought it because it's transportation and it has a radio and the windshield wipers work. But what you don't realize is like the adaptive cruise control can save your life or like, <laughs> right. Like there's yes. things, things within that system that you've purchased that in many ways kind of fall by the wayside, either out of ignorance or lack of practice or uh, not getting the, the depth of training necessary. But I mean, when you agree from a CRM perspective, it doesn't matter which one you're using just something that's going to allow you the ability to track your contacts, track your activities, and then schedule what your next contact is supposed to be with that particular contact, which then once you've got comfortable with that piece of it, now something like a sales automation tool will make infinite more sense because I'm sure like you, you've seen, or like me, you've seen countless customers who will say to you like, I get to the point where I know who I'm supposed to talk to next. I just don't know what I'm supposed to talk to them yeah. about. Right. So, so that gets into sort of this pivot into sales automation and itself. So let's talk a bit, a little bit about like, what do you think a sales automation campaign looks like? What, what do you, what, what do you, when we talk about cadence, what are you talking about when it comes to these things, regardless of whether you're using a tool or if you're just building it into whatever you're using for a CRM? Now, the first thing I think that is the most important, and a lot of people don't do this at the forefront before you even do a cadence, is you have to know who your buyer is. You have to know your buyer's persona. Because if you're going to reach out to a, it could be if, for example, somebody in IT might be an introvert, a salesperson might be an extrovert. You want to know that so you can, you can build your messaging around that. So knowing your buyer's persona because everyone is going to have a different reason for a product. For a sales automation, a CEO you know, like yourself or you know, a company owner might want a sales automation to make more revenue. But a salesperson might want a sales automation to book more demos. Right. So you have to know who your buyer is, um, and that's the most important at the forefront. You also have to know what is your call to action. Is your call to action to send a promotional material? Is your call to action to, for example, which we'll talk about later is to book a meeting at a conference or is your call to action to have them, you know, have a demo of your product. So you have to know in that sequence what you're trying to get out of your buyer when you're building that cadence out. Well, and I think you even go one step further to say that you believe that the amount of time in between the touches in the cadence should vary depending on if it's a B2C customer or if it's a B2B customer or depending on the organizational level. Yeah. And it really has a lot to do with your own belief as to the speed from contact to order. So talk a little bit about like why you believe those things might, may vary. Because you can build different campaigns for different things. So if I'm going to send a cold email camp campaign who they've never heard from me, 
I want to get touches, but I want to maybe make it a little more. So maybe three to four days in between, or even four to five days in between for that cold prospect. And I might want to spread that out over 45 days to continue to keep that thread going of emails. But now, for example, if you have a marketing platform that is integrated and you say, okay, you've been sending newsletters out for six months and you can see that person's kind of raised their hand, but not fully interested, you might want to do you know, less emails in a shorter amount of time because you already know they know your product. So differentiating between a cold prospect and a warm prospect is one. But if you're doing a campaign, for example, to book meetings at a conference, you might want to do it a week before the conference to hit them four times because the conference is in in a week. So you have to know where, what you're trying to, what your end goal is. You have to map that all out before you even start your your cadence in in a sales automation tool. Not to mention that I've seen countless struggles from practitioners in our industry with bad data and bad databases <laughs> and trying to maintain some data integrity when doing your outbound contacts can be a bear and trying to make sure that the list segmentation that you've even gone through is going to be valid because there's this specter of the blacklist lying out there in, in the uh, weeds that could put you, you know, you spam violators are, it's tough to work your way back from it. And I think there's a lot of people in our space, like, yeah, I have MailChimp and yeah, we do some things, but I'm not really buying the enterprise version of that thing. Even if I have 5,000 contacts, because I'm worried that it's going to muddy up my data. It's going to throw me into that spam list. Like, so, so talk a little bit about trying to maintain your database integrity too, and how, how your view of that may be different given what you do. Yeah. And it's great that you mentioned that actually, um, I'm not going to mention the client, <laughs> sure, but one of our clients is worth in the billions, top five companies in North America. Okay. And their data is terrible. Mm-hmm. We validate the data. We checked it for them. Could we, we can validate internally and the data is just terrible. So here's, here's a few things that we do, um, internally as well. Um, but also inside the software is to make sure that your data is valid. We actually real time validate your emails. Therefore we ping the servers before they're sent out because we don't want you to have a high bounce rate. If you have a high bounce rate, you'll probably end up in spam Two, which is a cool thing we just recently did because as you said, data quality is we highlight spam words for you. Therefore, when you're sending out your email, people like to use the word great millions discount free. We'll actually highlight those in yellow and say, Hey, change those wording up a bit because we want to make sure you don't get into spam. So taking the forefront um, and validating your disk because your list, because you know, every single second of every single day, people are leaving job, even just go on LinkedIn, this person's new job, this per every day. So you want to make sure your data is clean. Your, your data is your engine. You know, if you don't have your, if you don't have data, you can't, you can't prospect. So you got to make sure that's clean. And what I recommend is almost get it, get your emails validated every quarter before you send it out. Nice. So really, if we were backing up the tape here a little bit, we would say when we're talking about the toolkit that included in that toolkit would be a a validated database of clean information. And really, that's almost like the foundational principle of all of this is make sure that you are dedicated to clean data. And secondarily, unless someone told you to send them an email about your products and services, do not send them an email about your products and services. <laughs> and talk, talk a little bit about like why that gets you in trouble as well these days. A hundred percent. You don't want to send emails to people that don't know you because 
you know, if there's a certain amount actually email back or, you know, there's Castle in Canada, there's Can Spam in the US, there's GDPR in the UK. Uh, you don't want to get on that spam list because then you got to fight with Google. You got to fight with Microsoft. And those are probably fights you don't want to go up against. The key to not getting into spam also is your messaging. Don't sell your product. They, if you're going to send an email, they already know, if they don't know you, that you're going to try and sell something. Talk about the challenges or how you can show them value or help them. And you'll actually get more of a response. Even if they're not interested, they'll let you know, but it'll help you from preventing to get into the spam filter. Yes. Listen to that, everyone. Listen, listen, listen. And I, but to me, I guess that what I don't want people to consider that is to, for that to be the hurdle that keeps them from starting. And in much the same way as any other campaign of any kind, whether you're starting a podcast or writing a blog or you're doing any kind of outbound whatsoever, like it doesn't really matter. Like I have a very small email list at this point because my career has taken me to a place where I don't have a big contact list and I have to really build that from scratch. But I know that every single one of those contacts that's given me their information is comfortable with me reaching out to them. And I'm okay with having a small list to start because my quality, my actually my, my read rates and my click throughs are actually better with a smaller database right now, because those people have made themselves identified as being interested in hearing what I have to say, as opposed to me just spraying and praying and hoping that somebody is going to actually pay attention. You run the risk of getting more unsubscribes and spams when you do that than really any other thing that you could do where you could step into a quagmire. In life, quality is better than quantity. If you have a smaller, a smaller list, but they're higher engagement, higher quality, they like the content, it's better than having more. A, it's going to cost you way more money to email them all. But B, you'll, you'll actually get more prospects. You can even, so what we do, for example, internally is we'll go through our list and we'll actually email or call anyone who has like a four or five star. So anyone that's really engaged with our content, with our books, with our stuff, we'll yeah. call those people because those people are ideally the ones that A, you want as clients, but B, will become your clients. Right. You don't want someone just to become a client, just to become a client. We find they're more of a headache than anything. <laughs> right. You want to try and nurture and get the right clients than get the wrong clients. If it's a party and you're, networking with people, but you have absolutely no way of knowing who's actually really interested in what you have to say, I can make for a little bit more uncomfortable of a party versus when you can tell that someone has been interacting and engaging with what you're doing and seems like there's some kind of interest there. Clearly you would sub-segment those people at the party into the people that you would probably spend more time talking to. So why would you not do the same thing in, in a campaign like this? Perfect. All right. So, you know, Sean, the other thing I think that oftentimes get, gets missed is this notion of if I'm going to go to sales automation, I'm like, I'm becoming a spammer. I'm just shooting out emails to people and hoping that the world is going to not hate me and that I'm not going to annoy everyone. But that's all built around the notion of sales automation being tied to cold campaigns. What would have been some of the other kinds of campaigns that you've seen Besides, you know, just cold email campaigns that you see are working. One, so a few, a few that work, you know, for us internally is one, when we send a quote out for our product, we actually do a follow-up campaign on the quote. Therefore, uh -huh. if the person doesn't, the person receives the quote, we actually have a campaign that 48 hours will say, hey, I noticed you got the quote. Did you have any questions? Mm -hmm. Two days later or three days later, just making sure, and depending on when the expiry date on the quote is, we'll actually build that sequence to the expire date to lead them to make sure, okay, you know, it's expiring in four days. Have you made a decision yet? So instead right. of doing all that follow up for the quotes, 
Another one, which was great, was two weeks ago. I went to actually the Collision Conference here in Toronto, huge tech conference. And I said to myself, I'm going to go walk the event two days, but the third day I'm going to try and book meetings at the conference. And I did a conference, I did a, a campaign, a sales automation campaign to people that were attending the conference. And actually I sat in the lobby from nine to 6 PM every hour on the hour, didn't even go into the conference, had a ticket for it and had people every hour come out for coffee at the collision conference. Let me tell you, I had a lot of coffee that day, every hour, but I got a lot of meetings. So you can do it for that as well. One more thing is uh, demos. You know, if you're having a demo of your product and somebody misses a demo or misses a phone call, so you have a, a phone call plan, and the person doesn't attend. Have a follow-up sequence because everyone gets busy saying, hey, I noticed we had a call yesterday. You didn't show up. Did you want to reschedule? Two days later, oh, you never. I, know, I saw you never rescheduled. Um, does next Wednesday work, et cetera? So trying to get the follow-ups for campaigns, for quotes, for calls um, are all the different ways that I would definitely use sales automation, not only for cold prospecting. We small and medium-sized businesses don't often benefit from some of the more rigorous sales training that larger corporations present. There's this, this notion of there's steps in your sales funnel, obviously, right, from prospect to close. Whether or not you've defined those categories or not, you should. But secondarily, I think oftentimes where maybe these efforts don't necessarily get applied is in that I'm, I'm beyond a suspect. I've made my way into prospect now, but I'm not quite at quote yet. I'm aware of your product. I'm aware of who you are. I'm paying a little bit of attention. You need to de de design and develop a campaign specific to the people who you've already sort of gotten in the fold. That next quarter of the sales funnel, oftentimes, and, I, and the reason I, I, like, I intuitively understand why, because once you've made that connection, we as salespeople want to manage that contact physical, person to person. And we want each of those contacts to be between us face to face or Zoom meeting or whatever. That doesn't, that's not always logistically possible. So a lot of times I think it could be real valuable to really want to keep yourself in that person's brain yep. in that period of the sales funnel, right? So that could be a three or four step campaign. And really, this is what I was saying, Sean, like we see in our space, that's a very good time to throw a promotional product in the mail or to take a piece over to someone as a thank you for the original engagement and a way for them to be reminded of the fact that they had a positive encounter with you. And what better thing, like we would tell you that the promotional products medium is the only ad medium that people say thank you for. So if you get one from them, it might re-engage that connection that you've started that perhaps might be cooling. So we would say in a sales automation campaign, especially in that mid-stage that's where the use of promotional products can be really, really effective. So when we get done, I'll be asking you for that PO in Canadian dollars and you can send it over to me. <laughs> so um, I know At least it's Canadian dollars. <laughs> right, yeah. we'll, let, we'll let you do it in Canadian dollars. So um, you're, you're a big video guy. So talk a little bit about the, the role of video in email campaigns now and that's become easier to do. Yes. Like it, it's not quite the bearer that it once was. Yeah, I would say um, if your company, yourself, A, you should always be building your personal brand, but video has become probably the most used technology now in all campaigns. If you even notice, LinkedIn Live right now is, is in beta of a video streaming service on LinkedIn. So getting LinkedIn and doing it in your email sequence is important because what I, what I teach people is always be different. If all salespeople are doing this, 
you want to do this. Right. Why? Because then you'll get noticed. Right. So inside of an email sequence, if you're just, everyone's writing, hi, my name is Sean Finder. I am the founder of AutoClose, blah, 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 blah. Sure. They've seen that by many people. But if you do a live video, for example, say I do a webinar to 50 people and I do, a, and I want to do, a, I will actually do a video saying, thank you so much for attending my webinar. If you have any questions, click below. But having video in your sequence is so important because it's different mm-hmm. and it shows a face. Everyone wants to see that face, who they're talking to. And when they actually see the video, it's not like it's just a robot on their side sending an email. They feel like they know you somehow. So um, I would definitely put video, no matter what industry you're in, always inside. For example, if you send out a promotional, um, a mailing, um, and then, you know, you don't get to be delivered next week in your sequence, maybe two weeks later, say, Hey, I hope you received my, um, my, my promotion in the mail, make it very personal, add video, do videos on LinkedIn. Um, it's become very important, especially in sales sequences. And the engagement rates for videos seem to be, at least from what I'm seeing so far, about 10 X, just a plain, a plain word based anything. It's just the, and especially like you're saying on the LinkedIn platform, granted, this is the the new shiny object to a certain extent on LinkedIn. And so you're seeing early adopters jump on that and that people are interested and engaging with those people as they're doing it. But from a tool set perspective, would you just having those LinkedIn videos live in LinkedIn or would you rather have the video content that people are creating live in a video platform and then have those shared back into social media or an email campaign? Like, where do you come out on that? I would do both. So I do different, each are different. So when I do LinkedIn videos, it's to, it's to provide value to the LinkedIn community. So there I'm not doing more personalized. I'm talking in general, like here are five tips on subject lines. So anyone that's in sales can watch it. But when I'm doing a personalized video, I might say, hey, Roger, uh, I watched the Detroit Red Wings game last night. They won the game. I want to also touch base and see if we can talk about X, Y, and Z. So right. make it very more personal video. And one thing I want to mention about video and why it's also important is if you do have video in your email, you will actually receive an email with how much of the video the prospect watched. Now, why is that important? Because if one prospect watches 14% and one watches 86%, well, guess what? Who you, you know which one is engaged. <laughs> And you know which one to call. Right. Yeah, for sure. No, that's good. That's good. From a pure blocking and tackling perspective. So if someone's like, all right, you know, like this seems like something I should at least consider. Are there specifics around day of the week, time of the day, length of the can of length of the email? Like how many, how many words in the subject line? Like what's the stew? What's the stew like for the, the, the best possibility of having that thing get opened and read? Yeah, that's a great question. So the first thing we're talking about subject lines, funny enough, the best subject line that always works is like Sean plus the first name of the prospect. Two to three words in the subject line is all you want. And the reason why you only want two to three words is 73% of people open their emails on their phone. Mm-hmm. And when they open the email, they only see three words. Right. So even if you have an eight word subject line, they're only going to see your first three words. So make that important. Yeah. In your body paragraph, when you're sending your MailChimp nice, pretty marketing, send along pretty images, et cetera. But when you're sending sales, you want to keep it between 50 to 75 words. And your follow-up should be 20 to 25, two, three sentences. Um, but the, the thing I want to actually I want to touch on is the first sentence in your body, body of your email. I see so many people, and I've got another one today that says, as I said, hi, my name is Sean Finder. I am the CEO of AutoClose. 
Guess what? <laughs> don't care. <laughs> they, a, they don't care. B, you've emailed them from Sean at autoclose.com. So they know your name is Sean and they know you work at autoclose. <laughs> Stop talking about yourself. Talk about the challenge you can do. Talk about how, for example, you can help a CEO of a you know, solopreneur triple their revenue in a month. That will get them to read your email. Not to say, hi, my name is Sean Fugger. They do not care. So please, if you're listening, stop doing that. <laughs> and, and if you're doing that on LinkedIn, for the love of God, stop doing that. Like, oh, my yeah. God, it's just driving me insane. Like, oh. I just looked at your profile. You sent me a connection request. I know what you do. Like, come yeah. on. <laughs> but, but the best is after, they, after you add them as a connection, you count, you go five, four, three, two, one. And guess what? You have the automated... Well, I do web scraping for this company. I stop it. It's the worst. Be strategic, be personalized, and even be a little bit witty. It'll get you better, better results. Uh, it, it literally, it, it's the difference between wanting to be on LinkedIn as a platform and desperately wanting to just get off of the platform. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. Because when the connections, I mean, like similar to mine and yours, it was uh, thoughtful, you know, a uh, specific personalized message to me. And lo and behold, here we are having a podcast, right? So the difference is so minimal. It's just, you just have to take a minute to spend some time and think about what for the love of God would this person want to talk to you about and why? And if you can't come up with something, don't send them a message. <laughs> just a little bit of effort. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Sean, as we wrap it up, if, if uh, again, besides the sales automation piece, are there, are there any other automation pieces that you feel like should go into the, the toolkit here? 100%. And it's a scheduling automation tool. Scheduling so, automation. Okay. So we use, for example, Calendly, and it's not expensive, $8 a month or something like that. But yeah. what it's so important is when you're doing campaigns, you don't want to go back and forth with a prospect saying, oh, what time are you available, Roger? Roger goes, oh, I'm available Monday or Wednesday from 5 to 7. Oh, yeah, I'm not work. available. I'm not available Monday or Friday. What about next week? Oh, send a link. That's you know, Calendly.com slash Sean Finder, which is mine. You go right on my calendar. You see when I'm open and you book it. And that's the greatest CTA in a campaign because you can actually automate everything at that point. You've automated your prospecting, your emails, and now people can book on your calendar. And ideally, you can even automate to have Zoom or whatever screen sharing inside the description so everything is done for you. The whole thing you want to do is you want to make your one, two, three-person team feel like it's a hundred-person team. Yeah, and that's how you get the results and you save a lot of time and you make more money. We call that amplification of reach. Exactly. And, and it really, for businesses of our size, it is probably the most important thing to be able to be bigger than you really are and to allow your efforts to work on your behalf when you are not working without really without doing that. Like you can achieve a revenue number, but you know, you're going to threshold because the only finite resource in this whole equation is time. Yeah. So why not just blast through that piece of it? And I guess the other part I wanted to marry what you were saying about Calendly, which I too, I swear by that tool and I think it's really, really valuable. But here's the additional part. Block your calendar for when you do a campaign so that you only have certain times of the week available to those people who are clicking on the call to action. Because really what you want to have happen is Wednesday afternoons are going to be the response times from when I send out my Monday morning emails. So that when I'm rolling through those Wednesday afternoon appointments, I'm not having to re-research where I am with all of those clients in the process because I know it's specific to the campaign that I designed that went out that Monday. So by organizing your future calendar blocks around 
the specific campaigns that you're doing, it makes you so much more efficient. And in reality, it actually makes you a better salesperson because think about um, just like being in the trade show booth, what makes you good when you're in the trade show booth is the repetition of what you have to do over and over and over and over again. So if you're doing a campaign and you book all of those appointments in that same time slot, by the time you're doing the second or the third one, you are in your groove, you've got your words down, and really all you're really waiting for is the hook from the prospect to say like, oh, okay, that's where I got you. I got you there. You know, we have an opportunity for us to develop. When you're trying to think about what you're going to say, it takes you a lot longer to get good at it. So why not chunk those activities in a way that allows you the benefit added benefit of that repetition as well. So yeah, that would be my, that would be my two cents. And I'm going to add one more tip to that is I always block off some, some time in your calendar because the last thing you want to show a prospect is you're available every half an hour, Monday to Friday from (laughs) 9am to 6pm. Hey, if you have a product, they're going to think your product sucks because they're going to be like, well, this guy has no demos going on. B, this guy has no, no, like no calls going on. So even if you are free, Block it off out. Lunch, book off a gym, do something. Block it out. Make it, like, block out something. You don't want to show that you are uh, a free man all day, every day for everybody. Tuesdays from nine to noon, I blocked out for doing stuff. All right. Well, Sean, man, you know, I love it. So uh, let, let people know real quick, give a little commercial. How can they find you? Where, where might somebody book a uh, appointment or demo with Sean? At <laughs> Perfect. Well, I'll give you all my, um, you can, anyone can email me at Sean at autoclose.com. That's S H A W N at autoclose.com. Um, if you're interested in sales automation, you can visit www.autoclose.com. You can book the demo right on the website and it has Calendly that's integrated. Also, uh, we did recently publish a B2B sales handbook. So if you're in B2B space and you want a free handbook, it's on our website, but, uh, or, you know, even follow me on LinkedIn. We always post good content, good tips, good videos. Um, so feel free to follow or add me on LinkedIn and we can touch base there. Just make your ask a little bit personalized. There you go. <laughs> ask it, make it personalized. All right, Sean, man, I appreciate you coming on. We'll talk to you again real soon. So there you have it. I thought there was some really, really great pieces of information in there. Things like great million discount and free being spam words and that you should definitely not use them in your email marketing. Why it's important to not sell your product, but to make a relationship with the potential prospect on the other end of the email. Why not talking about yourself and being strategic, personalized, and witty can be the difference between getting your email opened and not. 73% of emails opened on mobile, which means only three words in the subject line are really, really important. And that 50 to 75 words in your first contact and only 20 to 25 words in your second email contact, all are really great, important pieces of information that everyone should adopt into their email marketing efforts. And as an aside, please, if you like what we're doing, please subscribe and tell your friends about what's happening on the So You're In Sales podcast so we can keep the list of impressive guests going for future generations. Thanks.